In a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend, this is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Greetings, lookers. Welcome to another edition of I'll Look at Yours. If you look at mine, I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell. And you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle RedHenMedia1. At RedHenMedia1. Look for that Red Hen icon. Today, we'll be discussing Dracula 2020, which is now streaming on Netflix. It is a horror movie. Some might say it's an episode. I'll argue that it's a feature film, but we'll get into that in our discussion, maybe. I'm here today with my distinguished co-hosts, who are likely already talking behind my back, so let's join their conversation already in progress. Hi, gang. Hi. Howdy. Hi. So with us today is the simultaneously credible and incredible, the anomaly, Kat Ramirez. Hey, y'all. Uh, just like I'm always real with my friends and family, I'll always keep it real with y'all, too. As always, grateful to be here. And the provocative one, Mr. Devin Schwartz. The game is on. Good luck following this up again, Pepe. And my good friend, the incendiary, James Pepe. Hey, how's it going, everyone? You know, I, we, I know we usually save this to the discussion part, but... I, I have to say, I really thought this movie sucked. <laughs> it just didn't have anything I could sink my teeth into. Uh, it it just it had me howling in pain. It, okay. it 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 really it really drained the life out of me. It was it was driving me batty. Oh, I was I was having I was having none of it. Oh my god! <laughs> it was it was way too unconventual. Okay, you're kicked off the podcast. It was it, it was it was a real it was a real drag cula to watch. There was no, oh, no bite to the film. It put me in a Transylvania. <laughs> it was it was it was a real stake through my heart. It, it was as if the movie had turned me into an undead zombie and put me in a wooden crate and nailed it shut. Uh, we'll workshop that one. I don't know. It doesn't work that well. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it in post. <laughs> no, well done. Thanks for the effort. That was great. And uh, who is left the irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott? Welcome. Welcome and greetings, gentle listeners and friends. When does you need that rundown by? As soon as possible. Okay. Just get it right. Yeah, gotcha. Of course. I'm going to dive in to the rundown. I'll be exhausted because it's like a triathlon. Did you want to close this? Okay, it turns out our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown and Jim just handed the dossier to me to read, so we'll go over Dracula 2020. Dracula is a TV 14 drama horror television miniseries, which uh, <clears throat> movie trilogy uh, developed by Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat, uh, based on the 1897 novel of the same name by one Bram Stoker, which may or may not be short for Bramathan. 
The series consists of three episodes, uh, but we are only going to cover the first one. Uh, they premiered on January 1st, 2020, broadcast over three consecutive days on BBC One before being released to Netflix, uh, starring Klaes Bong, which I did look up how to pronounce that. Uh, and he's the title character of Dracula. Uh, the series follows Dracula from his origins in Eastern Europe to his battles with Van Helsing's descendants and beyond, but we don't get that far. Uh, and I would argue that was unnecessary. We got Klaes Bong is Count Dracula. Dolly Wells is the wonderful Agatha, uh, well, Sister Agatha, not to try to spoil it, but I may have just already done that. Okay. Agatha Van Helsing. Uh, and John Heffernan as Jonathan Harker, who was also very good. I think all three were quite well done. Um, series is mostly met with positive reviews. Rotten Tomatoes, the series garnered a 70% approval, um, which is based on all three movies, I might point out. So I think that scores a sham. I think even the critics I read into that didn't like it loved the first one. Uh, an average rating of 7.2 out of 10 from 54 critic reviews. Uh, it's the consensus, the consensus, uh, the critical consensus reads a delicious blend of horror and humor that more or less balances modern sensibilities and the character's beloved legacy. Boy, these writers. Dracula is frighteningly fun. Yay. <laughs> real, real. Just like me. Deep cut there. Yeah, right. One of us. One <laughs> of us. Um, okay, so awards. It garnered uh, the prestigious Outdoor Media Awards. It really cleaned up there at that, at that prestigious event. Um, it garnered two gold medals, and it won the Grand Prix winner. We'll give it a three registers, but uh, it lost a couple of other things at the TV Choice Award, but it was nominated for Best New Drama and Best Actor for Mr. Clace Bang. Bong. Clace Bong. I'm never going to get that right again. I was lucky to get it right the first time. Uh, a little bit of trivia for you guys. The exterior shots of Castle Dracula were filmed at Orava Castle, which I'm probably saying wrong, which was um, the castle that they filmed the, cla the classic silent horror movie Nosferatu. It's 1922. So they went there. Um... When, okay, here's one for people that watch a lot of BBC. When Sister Agatha refers to her friend detective in London, um, it's difficult not to think of Sherlock Holmes, who says Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat produce Sherlock. And Dolly Wells also appears in Murder Rooms, uh, which is uh, Mysteries of the Sherlock Holmes movie. So that's about it for the rundown. Um, do you guys want to hear some clips? Yeah, man. Lay on me. Sure. Yeah, Dracula, he just had so many, I ended up having to cut out some of them, to be honest. We'll start with a good Dracula one, old man Dracula. Resarata casarum. The prison. Without locks. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah so i obviously i caught this uh i it was one of those things that i just happened to put on and i ended up really liking it um and i thought that it was a pretty good example of solid filmmaking hitting on kind of all cylinders but i want to know what you guys thought um i'm i'm interested to see what other people think so that's why i chose it 
Um, any initial reactions that you want to briefly uh, add? I know Pepe said he hated it, but I don't know if he was kidding or not. <laughs> um, so my, I mean, my overall initial reaction, and, and I mean very much initial, because for the first, like, third of the film, I thought this was a parody, and I, that's not a great sign. I was laughing out loud multiple times in the first, like, 30 minutes of the film, uh, especially the absolute, like, rager of a joke did you have sexual relations with Count Dracula? I literally laughed through the entire opening credits. I thought it was a joke. And then when it got back and it wasn't continuing a sarcastic tone, I was like, oh, maybe this is a drama. And then he met old man Dracula and like everything old man Dracula did was fucking hilarious. It was like an SNL sketch and I was laughing again. <laughs> and then it went back to really? being serious and I was like, oh, okay. that's interesting. Yeah, I found it very. Did you like, all have that reaction or or is it uh, is it mixed? Now I'm now I'm really curious. Um, so, so the reaction I, I, I had been was, I mean, I love Dracula. I love the Gothic horror story of it all. Um, but initially, unfortunately, unfairly, I, cause I love the Bram Stoker Dracula with Gary Oldman. And so the opening love that scenes, too. um, and I've watched, you know, that particular Dracula so many times, dozens of times. Um, Francis Ford Coppola does such an amazing job. But anyways, I had to get that out of my mind so I could enjoy and attend and be present to this film. And once I did, so it took about 10, 15 minutes into the movie. Once I was able to do that, I feel like the movie really soared for me. Yeah, you know, I had a similar experience where I've seen the um, Francis Ford Coppola Dracula with Gary Oldman, who I used to actually try to emulate as a kid and do his lines because I loved it so much. Um, so that sure. was also hard to kind of cleanse. And it, but once I did that, I had the same thing. It was like, okay, well, I'm just gonna see where this goes. And um, yeah, I really liked it. But uh, I already said that. So anybody else? I was just gonna say it was hard. I guess my initial reaction was like trying to figure out what the tone of this film was going to be because kind of what Devin said, it felt humorous. But also, obviously, it's a drama too. And I just, it was kind of like, okay, how fun, how much, and I think it, obviously the humor was intentional, but um, I was just kind of like, is this supposed to be like super funny or more dramatic? And so just my initial reaction was kind of just trying to figure out what the tone of the overall film was and not really, like not really knowing where it was going to go. Yeah, my experience was similar. I, I at first I thought like, okay, is this trying to be campy? Because that's sort of how it felt. Um, and then it very much became like an actual serious like horror drama movie. Um, so yeah, I think it just was a little it was a little rocky as far as like tone went at the beginning. Really? Wow, I'm super shocked. Out of all the like reviews and stuff, this is the first I'm hearing that the tone came off as like a comedy in the beginning or something. That's that's really fascinating that well, three of you uh, had that same response. It was it was more the for me it was more the initial scenes where he was in Dracula's castle than when he was like in the hospital, right? Because it starts out with him in the hospital. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I was, 
that that sort of stuff it was um because i well even in the beginning you like you like see this nun come in and she's got like a satchel full of like stakes and hammers and stuff and you're like oh, okay what do, what do, what's going on here this nun this nun knows what's up you know um but yeah i mean like then when he eventually gets into the castle you even you like the whole reason I did like that those pun things was because Dracula was doing all those silly puns about like vampire stuff and yeah and he like he as he as Dracula as the old man Dracula was a little silly he was he came across to me as like a little like foppish or something I don't know and then you yeah have he the did main... he did. But that's yeah, what I yeah. liked about it. It was like, this is a fresh new take on the character. And, um, you know, maybe it, a guy who's been sitting up there kind of like wasting away for that long would just come off as kind of a curmudgeon -y old old man character. But here's one of those lines you're talking about. I do not drink wine. Is that what you're talking about, Pepe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, there were some other th the, some other ones, too. I don't remember. Oh, yeah, there was plenty. Yeah, I had to yeah, choose yeah. one because there's too many of them. Yeah, and it, it was supposed to be funny. I, I'll grant you that. I did laugh along with the jokes they made. I, I, the guy, the, the main character, was hamming it up a little bit at the beginning of the movie, too, because he's he's, like, doing that movie thing where a person will, like, see something that is clearly supernatural and just be like, oh, I guess that was weird. I'll just ignore it. You know, he was doing that a little bit at the beginning, too. Um, but I, eventually it, it kind of found its found its groove, I think. The thing of just like standing next to someone who's being obviously incredibly suspicious and just like completely playing it straight face and not like realizing how incredibly weird the count is being and just being like, oh, OK. I wonder if some of this got lost in translation because this is a BBC produced show. And if you're not sort of uh, hip to their kind of sense of humor and culture, like the contemporary British sense of humor, it may have just not landed for an American audience as well. I mean, I, I watched Doctor Who and, and I have watched Sherlock, although I feel like there might have been a season I missed at the end. Um but yeah, like I kind of get what they're going for. I know Stephen Moffat. He also writes a ton of Doctor Who. Um, and I have things to say about Stephen Moffat, but I'll save that to later. Uh, but oh, good. Yeah, he um, I, I yeah, I felt it, it was just odd. I think, like I said, the first third or so I kept kind of going back and forth between comedy and, and drama. And then at, at some point it really does like kind of establish itself like, OK, from here on out, it's basically a drama, except still occasionally it's just like whenever Dracula talks, it kind of feels like a comedy because it is such a hammed up character. Um, but everyone else around him seems to be playing it pretty straight and is and is performing it very well. You know, since since this is a British, I didn't know it was BBC, but now that you say that, we should have known this wasn't a comedy because there were no men dressed up as women, <laughs> <laughs> which is the height of British humor. <laughs> but now that you say that, guys, I'm kind of thinking back to the first time I watched it, and I remember putting it on and being like, what is this for a little bit of it? and having that same kind of response. But it wasn't like, for me, it wasn't off-putting. It was more like it kind of piqued my curiosity, like, wh where the hell are they going with this? And let me see if I like it. And then I ended up obviously liking it. Um, so, but yeah, I wasn't I, put off I, by I, it. Right. I definitely see where you... I'm remembering now, it's funny, like, as you guys are saying that, I do, I do remember feeling the same way. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of go ahead, Jim. Um, I kind of share the reaction, same reaction as as you, Ben. Um, being that I hadn't read the book Dracula, but I've read a lot of the tangential type of things, watched movies and other things, seen kind of the reincarnation as far as like Ravenloft and role playing world of a kind of a Dracula surrogate. You know, that is what I kind of base it on. And so the beginning of the movie, when it was moving, I was trying to place, okay, is this an exact retelling or is this kind of departing from that? Um, and I didn't see a lot of the comedic elements, but now that you find folks are pointing that out, I'm like, okay, I can, I can see that. But I, you know, watching it, I was kind of filled with dread, you know, as Jonathan Harker was, um, you know, entering the castle and um, he sees what looks to be an eccentric but harmless old man. But those little humor bits, like I don't drink wine, you know, I seen that as like that, you know, that innuendo that was kind of frightening. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there was a, enough differences from what I know of that story without reading the original that I was like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah, we had a similar experience, and I have to admit that I'm a sucker for gothic horror stuff, and yes. uh, you guys, I've probably already talked some of your ears off about the, uh, uh, oh, what is it, now I'm blanking on it, it's, it stars Dracula, the uh, Netflix uh, cartoon adaptation of that video game. Castlevania? Cas yeah, Castlevania, yep. which I really enjoyed as well. And so, uh, full disclosure there, but uh, yeah, I I was also mainly filled with dread during those scenes. I was kind of connected it was late at night i was kind of uh empathizing with my main character there um and going into this castle and feeling like almost similar feelings to uh, a few weeks back when we did the lighthouse where he had to you know he knew he was kind of stuck there and in for it i kind of had a similar sense of dread as i did with mm -hmm. uh, the lighthouse yes so for those of you it took either longer to ca catch on or maybe it didn't catch on um did that did it catch on first of all and if it did for you um at what point did you kind of settle in i think for me it was when dracula kind of asserted himself in regards to what's his name harker is that what the yeah Harker's jonathan name? harker um uh when he said that he was only going to be there for a bit and Dracula was like, no, you're actually going to stay here for a while. That is like, and I'm always very interested in power dynamics when I look at films for whatever reason. And that was the point where I felt like it's kind of like the, the person who, who comes off as very charming and like comedic too, and then kind of turns it in a switch and like tells you like, Oh no, you're right. actually going to die today. And and that's and that's very creepy in itself. Um, and so for me, that's when it established itself as like being serious. No, that's a good point because what stood out for me, it was almost like a John Wayne Gacy. If you guys are familiar with that serial killer, he would dress up like a clown and like do tricks and be like, you know, and and try to make you laugh and then say, hey, do you want to see a magic trick? And then he'd handcuff you. And then the monster came out. So to me, it was like this this lure. Oh, I'm a harmless old man making bad jokes. And then uh, 
and then some winks at the audience, of course. Um, like, I shall absorb you, and, su- and such, you know? Like, that was uh, for the audience, right? Right. But, um, yeah, when the trap was sprung, that definitely, like, the tone did shift there. Devin, what about you? Did it, did it ever catch on for you? Yeah, I think the the character that really got it for me was Agatha. I think that she's a very interesting character. She's very unpredictable. Like you don't really obviously the the whole Van Helsing reveal happens later, so you don't really know why she knows all this stuff. And uh, yeah, like it's every time she spoke, she seemed to be like saying the opposite of what you thought she was going to say. And that compared to all of the other characters who are absolutely textbook archetypes like doing exactly what you expect them to do Dracula's always doing the predator thing the uh John's always doing the victim thing like they're all playing the role perfectly and then there's Agatha who's this anomaly who's like always saying and doing things you're like wait what you're talking about uh, zombies there's a zombie contagion that apparently every grave digger knows about I remember writing down in my notes that that she was like a secret that every grave digger keeps I'm like oh my like this is a horrible universe they've set up here there's just dead bodies rising up all the time um yeah, so she was very compelling, and, and as she spoke more, I was more invested. Yeah, she was great, and I'll just say something really quick, that uh, the writing throughout, I thought, was really clever, um, whether it worked for you or not, um, and I, she was a really, she really was kind of like the uh, stick thrust in the spokes of the Dracula story that kind of spun things in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. When when you uh, spoke of comedy, that's what I automatically went to was Agatha. Because some of the thing, I mean, you know, saying, yeah, yeah, the only survivor when the roof collapsed was the priest, and you know that's kind of what happens. And he said he maintained faith. What he should have done was maintain the roof. I mean, I thought right. that was pretty pretty comedic gold there. Yeah, her her irreverence was wonderful. Yeah, her mm-hmm. her dark sense of humor felt congruous to the story. As much as she was kind of an incongruous character, like the joke she was making made sense for this incongruous character. Whereas when the uh, when it happened from other people's mouths, that's when it like it pulled me out of it a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, did you catch on that maybe it was a trick, or maybe you did know that and you were just like, well, but that's not working for me. Yeah, it's partially that, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that made me laugh was more, was not necessarily things that Dracula was doing. It was like, you know, he knocks on the door and a bat flies by. It was more just the, like, absolute generic, uh, uh, like, horror. It felt like a, like a, a, a haunted house. It, it was at a very haunted house quality at the very beginning. And, uh, you know, they were trying to set the tone and go for kind of a classic feel, and I get that, but it just came across as like, because like, you go back and watch some of those, like, really classic horror movies, and they're they're not scary at all. They're just funny. You know, Nosferatu. I, I don't know. I, of... I still like the old Dracula movies, but I'll say this. like This is the story that spawned all of that. So just to be fair, like mm-hmm. it invented that, you know? That's right. That's right. And, and, and Ben, if you could, um, for, for the audience and for the rest of us, could you talk more about what Gothic horror is and some of the elements? Uh, Jim, if you have something to say on that, go ahead. I, I don't have uh, notes on Gothic horror. I mean, I could Google it or whatever, but... Uh... Okay, so, and, and again, this is my interpretation. Um, gothic horror is the, the slow creep. Um, it's the existential dread that's coming on the protagonist or protagonist in slow steps. 
and it it leaves a lot to a lot more to the unknown. It's not visceral. So, for instance, seeing a, a glass of red wine or a couple of red spots staining, you know, a, a fancy dining room cover uh, to, you, you know, give the innuendo of blood or that kind of thing. That's, a, you, you, you know, that's a part of Gothic horror. It very much kind of describes the surroundings and the surroundings are in on it, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that castle very the, much was a character, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it's his own character, the environment, and nothing is for you. Everything is against you. And uh, just some examples uh, of like the the way the protagonist has to go through is they're crippled in some way, or they're not very strong, they're not very heroic, and there's something that inhibits them. Um, so the, the instance in this movie would be like what Kat, you had said, when the Count uh, springs the trap and says, no, you're staying. But even before that, when he described the castle being the prison with no walls, you know, that was very like immersive, uh, oppressive type storytelling. In modern horror movies, they do use elements of gothic horror. It's very cliche. Oh, we don't get no cell phone service here, right? That's isolating and limiting the protagonists of, of the movie. Uh, that that's the way I understand it. Very atmospheric, and the protagonist is limited in in some way and progressively, usually. I mean, gentlemen, Jim Scott, I could not have done that justice. Thank you for that. Um, so, guys, I, I'm thank curious you. in that in that regard. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad you spoke on that. Um, and so for you guys, I'm curious if you are familiar with the story of Dracula. I'm, I assume, James, at least you are, um, but I don't know. Uh, do you guys know the story? Are you fans of, of that story at all? I'm assuming Jim and I both are. Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a bigger Frankenstein guy. That was my thing. I like Frankenstein. I actually, uh, the library at my high school where I've, I'd like, I still think even as a 25 year old now, a majority of my reading happened in my high school library because I've read probably like 90 to 100 books in, in like within a couple of years I was there, you know, um, but uh, they had a like omnibus of Dracula and Frankenstein. It was like one side was Dracula and then you like flipped it and it was Frankenstein. I don't know why they did it that way, but yeah. And I uh, I always just like checked it out to read the Frankenstein side, but I never read the Dracula side because I wasn't really, I don't know. I was less interested in that story for some reason, but um, I've seen, obviously I've seen depictions of Dracula. I don't actually know if I've ever watched a full like traditional Dracula story. I don't think I've seen the Gary Oldman one, although I love Gary Oldman. Um, but yeah, are you at all familiar with the original story? I mean, bits and pieces through other okay. trips. I know I watched, there was like a more recent Dracula movie in like, I want to say like 2015. That was like bad. It got like really bad reviews. It was a very like action packed Dracula one. Um, that was not as good. Yeah. But no, the, the traditional story, the, the original story, I don't think I'm very familiar with. Yeah. And so for people, uh, one sec for, so for people who are familiar with Dracula and maybe are fans of that story for us, it's like Hamlet. It's like, you know, let's see what the new Dracula is doing with the, with the story, but go ahead, Kat. 
I was just going to say um, that I'm pretty much in the same boat with Devin. I read Frankenstein in high school, so I'm very familiar with that story. And I actually own the book for Dracula. I have it. And it's actually a really cool. I'll probably show it a little bit later, but read like leather book, hard, uh, hard book cover. Um, but I've never, I've never read it. And so it's still there on my shelf. Uh, so I, I, I know Dracula kind of in the same way as Devin said, like through tropes, that's the extent. I don't really know exact like storyline. So you guys are Frankie's, so you're never going to understand Dracula. That's the problem here. <laughs> it can be absolutely dismissive from this point on then. Good. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> So, uh, Ben, are you asking, like, the spirit in which Dracula was written? Are you uh, talking about that as much as the story? Um, maybe not, but it sounds like you're hitting on something interesting there that I'd love to hear about. So, the way I understand it, and I get my authors mixed up. So, you know, back in the late 1800s or whatever, I mean, it was, writers were like a fan club, right? They wrote letters to each other and they connected with each other and i think i think and again i'm i'm getting names mixed up but i think bram stoker might have been in with like mary shelley and some others where they were meeting and on a regular basis or an irregular basis i can't remember and they it was almost like a campfire um kind of tale they were like we're gonna we're going to each kind of write a story or come up with our own story. And then, you know, the next time we gather around the campfire or the dinner table or whatever passed during that time, this is going to be our version of the story. And I think Bram Stoker was there. So he did Dracula, Mary Shelley did Frankenstein at that particular tale and so on and so forth. And lo and behold, these stories are, you, you know, um, the early kind of uh, um, uh, examples of gothic horror. So I, I think that's correct. Well, uh, I didn't know much about that. I, I had heard that Mary Shelley had some kind of dinner party or something and wanted to frighten her guests or something. And maybe it even kicked off with her. I'm not sure who wrote what first, but um, uh, that sounds interesting. Uh, and I hope that's the case because that sounds awesome. Actually, a lot of the time you see these like little pockets of artists that just kind of dominate their respective fields for some reason, and they all kind of come up together. Sure. That happens a lot. So I'm, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Uh, let's see. How about uh, some non-Dracula characters? Uh, I liked. Uh, let's give uh, Jonathan Harker his due. I missed it. You did. Then you're much quicker than me. I'm not quick. I've always been slow. But the thing is, when you're slow, you know you need to pay attention. It's the clever ones who never listen. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about clever dialogue. They, they, we're good at like flipping stuff around. Um, uh, here's one of uh, she's uh, uh, tit for tat here with uh, Sister Agatha. What is remarkable, Mr. Harker? is convenient is that the words were in English. Oh. I didn't think of that. Of course not. You are an English man. A combination of presumptions beyond compare. 
Yeah, it's a good one. She was so great. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, which kind of leads me to my thought. It's like, it's too bad they didn't just call this a feature film because I think that had they done that, it might have been uh, up for uh, some, some more awards, for, especially for the acting. Uh, some of these characters I just thought were really great. Um, did, and uh, to speak to Kat's power dynamic thing here, uh, Dracula was hitting the gaslighting pretty hard there. I need you to write... Three letters. What was that? That's nothing. It sounded like a baby. Oh, no, no, no. There's no baby. And he went on. <laughs> God, I hate being gaslit. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to laugh, but it was so sad too, because I'm like, that's a baby. It's for sure a baby. <laughs> I was like, oh, but this is too funny. You know, I like I liked I was I I liked what they eventually did with that the baby. Um but as I was watching the movie, I the thought that I had in my mind was because because uh, Harker was sitting at that table at the base of the stairs and Dracula walks away up the stairs. And I was just like, please, movie, just have him drop that baby off the stairs and it just like smash onto the floor. That's what I wanted in that moment. That's what I wanted to happen. But alas, it didn't. But when the baby thing did happen that you thought that was pretty great or, or what was that? Cause that was yeah. one of the peak horror moments for me. And that one of the most graphic moments, maybe. Well, there were, there were two things in particular that stuck out in my mind as being really cool. The first one was at the very beginning of the movie where the, the fly crawls into his eye and then you could see it like moving around the backside of it. I thought that was really cool. And then the other scene, which I thought was really cool, was uh, Dracula just like being birthed from that wolf's body. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was super cool. Um, those are the two big ones for me. Um, but just, I mean, my thought was like, what are, like, it, there is a baby there. What are they going to do with it? And then um, just sort of the payoff of that, of like seeing it in that weird, like, uh, glass sort of like like tunnels or tubes that, that, yeah. that it could like go around in and then her the woman who was in that box having ate it and then it coming back to life um, as a little vampire baby that I don't know that started getting a little hammy to me at the very end where you see the like fake baby crawling up with the fangs and stuff but it was still uh, that cool. was one of my favorite parts um so since we're talking about it, I'll do this. I think the sound design uh, out of all the elements that went into this movie, I thought everything was working pretty well. But I think the sound design was just hitting uh, really well. And um, well, I'll just play the clip. Um, it is from that sequence. And I just you, a lot of the time the sound gets overlooked because you're so into the visuals. And uh, sound is actually considered the redheaded stepchild of the film industry. But it's just super important. So I like to call it out when I notice it. I'll play this and see what you guys think. <laughs> that bass laughing. <laughs> I'm just like listening to like all the different environments this little 
vamp babies crawling through and being like, yeah, they nailed that. I was just laughing at so much gurgling, so much gurgling <laughs> noises. Yeah, you can tell the sound guys were like, this is going to be a fun project, and then they kind yeah. of dove in. Much like Harker dove over the side of the uh, <laughs> castle wall. Wow, nice. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that scene in particular, yeah, especially with like the when they have the um, flies inside the glass sphere, things like that, like it all it all sounded very cool. It's always a very creepy it's a it's a very easy well to go to when you're making a horror like project to, to like stuff on glass, scratching on glass, like things crawling across glass. It's, it's very unsettling. Yeah, it d definitely is. And that's a good point. And they did feature glass a few times during this, mm -hmm. right? Um. Do the a uh, couple more scenes uh, for the fun of it. I, I, there's so many great like little moments and lines here. Um, this was cool because they're kind of getting Dracula's waxing uh, philosophical here. Don't you see? An end is a blessing. Dying gives you size. It's the mountain top from which your whole life is at last visible, from beginning to end. Death completes you. It's the mountaintop. Have you ever heard that before? Is he stealing that from something, Pepe? Well, actually, that's it's an interesting thing he says, because in my mind, at least, and I don't know if this is like a widely accepted thought about Frankenstein and Dracula, but I mean, like Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein as a sort of thought experiment about the soul, right? So she was like, well, everybody has souls, but everybody's like born of woman, right? But if I just like got a bunch of body parts together, sewed them together and somehow made it alive, is, would that person have a soul? Is that a real person or not? Um, but it also, and that's, a, that's an interesting question and actually kind of one that is like becoming very relevant to us as like cloning becomes more and more a thing, like, you know. Um, but it also, I think it also, um, I think both Dracula and Frankenstein have, they find their sort of seat of their horrificness in that they are perversions of uh, sort of the promises of Christianity, right? <clears throat> and what I mean by that is if, with Frankenstein, it's the promise of the bodily resurrection, right? That sounds horrible, right? After we die, uh, we might be long dead, but somehow God is going to like stitch our bodies right. back together, and we're going to be give alive up again. Dead and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's where that's where it is in Frankenstein. But with Dracula, okay. with vampires, it's just like if you drink Christ's blood, you will have eternal life, and that's what vampires do. They drink blood and they have eternal life. And so it's a perversion of that sort of aspect of Christianity. Um, and so I think that what Dracula is talking about in that scene is that like there is a way in which eternal life can be horrible and that it's like there's a reason why people die. Um, and I, I think he's right. Like there are there are reasons for those things. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting there, there, it's interesting that you can take these things that, at least in this case, that Christianity proposes as being like a thing that is universally desirable, right? Like eternal life. And take that idea and be like, 
no, that would be horrible to live forever. I mean, think about that, you know? And so I think that's sort of like part of where, especially since uh, especially since us being sort of like culturally, like our, our culture is so steeped in Christianity, we see that that horribleness coming through it. I think that that line hit particularly well for me, not just because of its philosophical significance. It's, it's a very, yeah, like, like everything Pepe said, I agree with, but um, also because, because almost because of the way that I saw the film and because of the way Dracula came across to me, the fact that that was the first line in the movie that he says that is not out of like a scary how a spooky house script. The fact that it's the first serious thing he says, it hits very differently. And you're like, whoa, OK, like this character can be serious. And that, that, that like, you know, really stuck with me because of that. That actually that whole scene. Sorry, let me just say one more thing, Jim. That whole scene when that when they're on that like veranda or whatever you want to call it. And Dracula starts talking to him about you get to see more of him as like a um, as more as like why he's a pitiable character. Right. Because he yes. starts talking to Harker about like, tell me about what the sun looks like. I haven't seen her in, you know, a thousand years or whatever. And right. you can start to see him as like a pitiable. You start to see him as a pitiable character in that in that scene. Which I think they explore more as they continue, right? With uh, especially with Sister Agatha kind of pegging him for who he really is in that showdown scene between them. And I'll play a clip from that real quick since I'm talking about it. Uh, it is a bee can always find nectar, and a trap always needs honey. I don't think this is a trap. Well, it wouldn't be a very good trap if you did. And she goes on to call him an animal and a beast and flicks some blood down and kind of reveals to the sisters his weakness. And they have a really great uh, back and forth there that it was maybe my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. So th this might be a good time to talk about Stephen Moffat and specifically the way Stephen Moffat thinks about women. <laughs> and the fact that Stephen Moffat is maybe the most notorious misogynist in the like TV industry. He's like massively known for his misogyny uh he's considered to have like ruined many characters on doctor who because of many female characters because of the way he wrote them and he does this thing he tends to do this thing of creating a token like femme fatale or like powerful woman like many of his things have a powerful woman in them but his powerful women are often not in this case but they're often oh, like over sexualized um a lot of their like power comes through their like sexual independence which comes across kind of gross when it's written by a guy and um he then often also surrounds those powerful women with tons of damsels in distress he loves to write damsels in distress and i mean they're literally the entire convent are damsels in distress at the end because th again he has this scene where they're all shown as very powerful and and like they're all standing up to dracula and then in the next scene they just all die and they, none of them fight back and there's like like the only thing they do is pull out their crosses briefly um, and, uh, yeah, like he, he tends to do this a lot. He does a, a ton in Dr. Who where the, the, you know, sometimes he'll have a, a, a very one note, strong female character, and then just have her, have her or another woman be immediately, uh, uh, damselified. Um, but yeah, he just has a pattern of, of doing that. He did it in, in Sherlock, one of the like main, uh, I won't spoil it, but one of the female villains in it is, um, written very blandly and like 
has a big twist at one point that makes no sense because there's just been no like time spent on her character. And uh, yeah, it, you can look into it more. But yeah, Stephen Moffat's just like a horrible dude. <laughs> good. He's a pretty good writer. Honestly, I enjoy a lot of the stuff he's done. Like it's, it's I begrudgingly like a lot of the work he's done, but he, he's a misogynist. I did note and I'm not familiar with his work at all uh, before this. Um, I will say I didn't pick up on that stuff, maybe because I'm not familiar with him, but um I will say that the people who were critical of this that I happen to read say that Moffat does kind of fall into the same traps with his writing, like pretty consistently was, was the feeling. Um, Kat, what did you think? Um, how did that, how did that play for you? Uh, maybe it's time for me to learn something. Uh, what Devin said, uh, I didn't even, you know, notice, but now that you're mentioning it, yeah, that kind of was a, uh, the ultimate damsel in distress moment, maybe it could be read like that. I guess because I felt like there was other tropes in the movies or in mm-hmm. the movie or the film that I didn't necessarily, it wasn't surprising when I, when the nuns were basically damsel in distress, as, as Devin said, um, I just felt like they were playing that, that trope, just like other characters in the, in the, in the film. Um, but I was just thinking about Dracula's wives and how they were used just for breeding purposes. So they're very neurotic and, you know, with, with the one that ended up being killed, um, there was something in, in even the depiction of her that was very like characterized to, to a point that, and and given she's like a vampire and dead or undead. Um, but it was also like viewing women, even in that scene as very much like objects to be used. So I could see that as well. You were cutting out just a little bit, but I think what you said was there, she came across as an object to be used. The, the sort of the female vampire that he was trying to rescue, which was set up like a damsel in distress, wasn't it? Yeah. And they were, yeah, used for breeding purposes. So, yeah. Right, yeah. right. And then the pinnacle of that, too, and I, I forgot to mention this, too, is is that basically the final scene where we have Agatha and Mia, I believe is the love interest's name, his wife, Mina, Mina. Um, Mina. They're in a room yes. together. And, like, yeah, Agatha has been brought up as this this vampire hunter, this strong character. We saw that in the previous scenes. But when, when Dracula does get in and does attack, she screams with all the rest of them and runs away you know joins the the pack of damsels as they run away she goes and hides she tries to like she sets up what appears to be like a like a front you know to like a, to to face dracula when he comes and just doesn't do anything <laughs> like she just doesn't do anything when he gets there like mina you know another female character is the like foil she's the one who lets him in she's the weak one who like twice displays her weakness and almost gets herself and other people killed um and then at the end, like I, I, I expected Agatha to pull out a stake and fucking kill Dracula. And that was going to be the ending because I expected it to be like, you know, a fully wrapped up, concluded film. Yes. And I have a point that you're leading up. Yeah. to, So this is great. And then and then, yeah. And then Agatha just does nothing at the end. And I was like, oh, OK, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, they do have their final confrontation. And what I was going to say is the two sequel, uh, which I'll, I'll just call them films because that's how I see them. The two sequel films um, were probably unnecessary, and if you chopped the last 10 minutes off of the third movie and put it at the end of this one, it would have resolved as one complete film. 
uh, rather nicely, but I don't want to, I don't know if you guys are going to watch it or not, but I can, I can kind of go over it really briefly if you don't mind a spoiler. Otherwise, um, I'll just say that they capped it off in that third movie and you literally could have cut out the other two films. And then, okay, so the sequel, I'll just tell you this, um, not anything about the story so much, but you could consider the second one as uh, Sherlock Holmes guest starring Dracula. And the third one could have been Doctor Who guest starring Dracula. So just to give you a sense of why I didn't even bother to include it. But the last 10 minutes, you cut it off, you slap it on the end of this, uh, and, uh, and it resolves. And they do, Agatha has her moment, and um, it turns out, uh, well, I don't know. Do, do you guys mind a spoiler? Are you guys going to watch this thing, or are you not, not that interested? I'm kind of interested I in watching the other two. Okay, I'll I'll leave I, it at that. That they cap it off, and they they do they salt you with some stuff, like you'll never guess why the crucifixes work and stuff, and they explore that in that last bit at the third movie. Yeah, I felt like there was a lot of foreshadowing, and I don't yes. know as much about the writer as as you do, Devin. I can definitely see the side of you know gambles and distress, and even strong characters crumbling. I guess what I would say just as an alternate way um, to see things, I feel like throughout the movie, Dracula was great at using your weaknesses against you. Um, he displayed that to magnificent effect with Jonathan Harker. I mean, he was so bold to say, write these letters. It doesn't matter to me whether you do or not, but... If you don't, then worse things can happen. And there always can be worse things, you know? Yeah. And you don't then, want Mina to come here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Mina was um, the cell as far, unfortunately, her weakness was love. It, you know, um, even though they had a um, either a polyamorous or an open relationship, which I think attests to the modern sensibilities um, in the very beginning um, when she was saying, yeah, I'm going out with this man and this man and this man. Um, she <laughs> yeah. loved Jonathan Harker. And there's one more thing that I want to bring in because we haven't discussed it yet. And it, it does end up, you know, maybe offering an alternate take. Um, they, you know, since uh, queer critical theory has kind of looked back on some of the things in the past. Um, they say Dracula is straight queer coding for Bram Stoker, that he was a pr very private individual. He was more than likely a homosexual kind of hiding behind the veil. And the only way to really portray that, especially in those times, was right through other ways. And some examples of why that is so, and again, points to the modern sensibilities, is when Agatha says, are you having sexual relations with Dracula? That just puts it straight in the open. Let's talk yeah. about it. You know, we don't have to hide this allegorical um, piece of the story. It's also some evidence, um, even though Bram Stoker does pursue Mina, I think, you know, at least that was the way in the Gary Oldman movie, he spends the most time with Jonathan Harker. And when he says, I'm going to absorb you, that's kind of that allegory coming out. So, I mean, I thought that was all really interesting. You know, when they did knowing getting into it, I'll be quick. Uh, getting into it, I I knew it was not a comedy or whatever. And so, when they 
kicked it off with her saying that, I was also like glad for the fresh take. And I was also glad for the fresh take on Mina that she was flirty and a real person and not like some stuffy character from the late 1800s, you know, that, you know, people were real back then. And that, that made me feel like it was taking place with real people at stake in that sense. So I think they did a good job on that, at least that how I read it. Sure. And then Jonathan Hart, Har I'm sorry, Kat, just, I'll say this really oh, quick. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Harker kind of replacing the Renfield character. Right? Yes. Because so, Renfield wasn't in this and Jonathan Harker was the one to suffer. I was like, oh my gosh, it just made it 10 times more perilous. You know, his fate, what's going to happen to him. So collapsing down characters is typically a very useful and efficient way to, to storytell. And that happens all the time in writing. And I think they did a good job with that. But go ahead, Kat. Well, not, and although the, it was, the question was never really directly answered whether or not he had sexual relations with Dracula, but they de they definitely, definitely showed him dreaming, having like pretty much sex dreams of Mina and then it being actually Dracula. So I just thought that was obviously interesting in regards to like the homosexuality thing to this all of i don't know if that was their confirmation of like yes they were and he was using seduction as a way to i don't know like drink out of him or for like i'm not sure when that was also happening if that was at nighttime when he was sleeping or something but um i thought that was very interesting yeah i just sure. thought that was very interesting they had that it was but um and that was also one of the critical uh, the things that uh, one of the critics uh, had an issue with is that uh, I'm sorry, what's the writer's name again, Devin? Mo it's uh, Moffat Stephen Moffat. Yeah, Stephen Moffat. Moffat. Yeah, they're saying that he dances around uh, the he'll kind of like what you're saying with the female characters. He'll like include a strong female character in this. He'll he'll hint at uh, some homosexual aspects, but never kind of take the plunge and run with it or something. And I don't know if that bothered anyone at all or not. There's a point on the veranda, and by the way, I'm so glad you played both of those clips mm -hmm. because that really energized me when Dracula's laying down in the dark, getting on uh, Jonathan Harker's level, and Jonathan Harker is laying down in the light, and they're having that conversation. That was riveting. And then again, the kind of back and forth you know, up-down power exchange that was going on between Sister Agatha and Dracula because Dracula couldn't enter the abode. So it allowed them to have that dialogue. Oh, man, that was great. But there was uh, a part of the Veranda dialogue. Dra uh, uh, when uh, Jonathan Harker was going to, like, fall off, he straight up said, you are so much more than what I've had in the past and straight up said, um, I would like you to be one of my brides. I don't think it could be more explicit than that, actually. And no compunction about it. So, yeah, that I see it didn't bother me either, but then the, the critic uh, stated it, so I, it kind of brought it up as a point to ask just because um, um, sh this author i think she was female but it doesn't matter uh she just had a problem with him but maybe i think i was wondering and maybe this is the case that maybe people who are familiar with stephen moffat's work come kind of with a predisposition about him and kind of bring that to the table and because she was familiar with all his other works as well she said he had this problem in sherlock 
and he had the same problem with this and that. And so um, maybe that's why it was a kind of an issue that was laid bare for people who ha are familiar with his work. Well, one thing not to not to totally dismiss that idea, because I do think that happens sometimes. Um, but I, I didn't know this was written by Stephen Moffat until you said okay. his name. I had taken notes about how the female character seemed a little off in this and that there was a lot of damsel distressing happening. And then you mentioned Stephen Moffat and all like recontextualized. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Well, there you go. It did snap into place for me. Okay. Good to know. Um, let's see. Let me see if I have another fun clip. Okay. So here's the thing. And then they don't, I don't think they answer it in the movie, but, uh, it's just one of those movie things called salting the audience. And um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term, but it's basically you uh, weave a little mystery in to keep your audience engaged and want to know the answer to it. So I figured I'd play that. Oh, of course. Nuns. You have those things which work, actually, even though you will never guess why and then he beats them by bringing the wolves in so i mean i know it's written but um uh, so it's not really fair but dracula does out kind of outplay everyone using their weaknesses against them right um so i thought that was a fair point but um you know it's also written so the writer the writer did that on purpose so it's not like <laughs> it was like a, a sporting event or something you know it's kind of a fixed thing well, but, I mean, uh, nuns nuns are weak against wolves. They're not spec'd for wolves. It's a known weakness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, their Pokemon card has uh, has that uh, yeah, right yeah. in the the small print there. Yeah, they're only first level experts, so don't That's have right. a lot of hit points. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you got a D four <laughs> hit points, even just it doesn't even need to be a dire wolf. Like just regular regular ass run of the mill wolves, they'll eat you up. Um, here's a little uh, Mina line, so she get her she gets her due. Um, and I'll 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 follow this up. You guys can jump in after the line, but I'm curious how the twist played out for you. But let me play Mina's line. I thought this was a pretty funny line. I am no longer that man, dearest one. We are to be married, and so let me be plain. Who you are will always be my decision. And that's marriage. Okay, so uh, how did the twist play for you guys? Uh, was it a surprise? Did you see the Van Helsing and Mina twist coming? Um, no. Jim's shaking his head no. Uh, just jump in. Who who liked it? Who didn't? Uh, sure, I'll go. So, so I didn't see any of the twists coming, and I wrote um, a few down. So Harker's Renfield, Sister Agatha, I mean, at first I was like, okay, this sister is very irreverent, you know, of the church. It's questionable whether she even believes in God. Um, it's obviously has some expertise because uh, I think Devin or or maybe it was you, Kat, had mentioned, or maybe even James, um, the stakes in the beginning. I never put it together that she was actually housing or that the other sister was Harker's wife until it was revealed. Um, and when Harker tried to kill himself, I thought he was dead. I never knew it was going to be him that couldn't kill himself and omitted Dracula in. Um, 
And even the writing, the writing of the account, it was just scribbled nonsense. It reminded me kind of The Shining. Yeah, I like that. There's a few twists. Yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah. Absolutely. Dracula's God, Dracula's King. He's like, well, I already wrote it down. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was all great. The rest of you, did that did that land for you? Was it a nice payoff? Yeah, all the twists, I think, worked really well. There was like a couple of, it was a very concentrated moment where there was like twist, 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 uh, back to back. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was it was a bit of like whiplash, but it was cool. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> what I wasn't sure was, um, because, at, you know, at, towards the end, we see that whole scene with Dracula and Harker outside in the balcony and talking about the mountaintops. And so clearly he he dies. And he becomes he comes back undead. So I was just wondering, did did he know that he was undead or did he have no idea? And that's why it was such a twist later on that he was actually undead and he realizes that he's undead. I think it was like a memory problem or he may have been more or less conscious of it at different times or something. That's kind of how I read it. But anybody else? Yeah, I think I think he becomes aware of it at some point because he says to one of the nuns, he says, like, I'm not even breathing. Right. And then she goes, well, well, you right. do once in a while. Right. Um, as far as yeah, the, she was hip to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, everybody, everybody, everybody knew like the title of the movie is Dracula. Right. And the first thing you see is this guy and you're like, oh, OK, he's a Dracula. You know, like there wasn't I don't think there was any secret about that, at least to the viewer. He definitely wasn't a Frankie. They're not welcome here. No, no way. Um, <laughs> but um, as far as the re- or the the reveals, I knew I had a sense that something was up with the two sisters. I thought it, I thought it was going to be revealed that night that the main uh, that Agatha wasn't a nun, and that maybe the other one was because the other uh, Mina seemed to be much more scandalized by what um uh, agatha was saying um the the other one didn't land that great for me when harker wasn't dead just because he like had been laying there so long and was also just sort of aware of what's when he staked himself yeah when he staked himself I, i i found that hard to believe because if he had i feel like given what we knew about his character that given what was going on, he would have just got up and tried to help rather than like not doing anything and staying pretend dead. dead I think you hit on a, this reveal. I think you hit on maybe the weakest twist in that uh, it was Harker who invites Dracula in and Harker who fails because earlier on he's like, "I'll do everything in my power to stop you," and that's my Johnny. And then he's like, "Welcome to the mountaintop," and kills him. Uh, and uh, now he's just like, "No, this is too." too horrifying or whatever so i'm gonna invite dracula in and everyone in here be damned um did it feel like a cheat i was just gonna say one more just uh, just one more thing it was that uh, one of the <laughs> Take i think it, one of the <laughs> one of the things and it wasn't too bad in this movie but it can be bad is when you don't know when the when the extent of a like superhero or supervillain's powers aren't like clearly defined, and I think that this movie suffered from that a little bit. They Harry Pottered it. The Brits do that, yeah, <laughs> right? But I but I think in this movie it makes some sense because we're not seeing things from the point of Dracula. We're seeing things are being seen from the point point of view of other people who don't know what 
Dracula can and can't do. But then again, Dracula doesn't even need, doesn't even seem to know what he is or what he can do, right? Because he's surprised when like the baby turns into a baby Dracula and he's like, oh, it never worked that way. Yeah, before. I love that. He was experimenting and figuring it out too. And Sister Agatha points that out. Like, does a beast know, you know, why it does what it does? Cat, you had a point. All right, can I say something real quick? This whole thing, like, we, we sometimes have a little bit of a lag in between. And so I'll see someone wanting to go, and I've started in, and I know I'm coffeeed up and talking too much. So jump in, and I'll, I'll relinquish to you guys most of the time. I apologize. That was my mic. Not, I, I didn't have anything oh, to say. You got nothing. You got you to gotta <laughs> say something. Well, now, jump though. in anytime. Yeah, now you're on the spot. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, let me play. Let me play. This is why we have clips. This is why we have clips. I'm actually kidding through most of these clips. Play, uh, see, see what you thought of this one. Uh, was this cheesy or was it good Dracula acting? Let me ask, let me uh, let Cat answer this one. Here we go. I am looking forward to England, Mr. Harker. People oh. here, they are so narrow. I wither among them. Um, they are without, they are without flavor. Perhaps you mean character? Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. So Devin was laughing. What did you think, Kat? Uh, yeah, definitely comedic. Um, mm -hmm. He's, you know, going off with those those jokes again. Um, but it, what I thought was funny, too. It was like, you want flavors? So you're going to London? Like, that's, that's where you're going to find flavor? <laughs> right, the place known oh for, its, for its culinary delights, right? No, you know, <laughs> I know what they were going for, because London was kind of like, at this time when this was written... England was it like they were the top dogs in the whole world. But yeah, from a food aspect, they're not known for their culinary. Uh... Right. But even as like a cultural in a cultural way, the British are okay. They're generally stuffy. thought to be like spicy, you know, not like they're not I, like the, you know, it's such a wonderful observation that I didn't think about. Yeah, that's that's what really cracked me up, honestly, when he said that. What yeah. were you laughing at, Devin? Was it that, or was it uh, just his bad acting in your eyes, or what? My, my name Dracula, very nice. That's what I was laughing at. He's doing a <laughs> Borat impression. He sounds exactly like Borat. It's hilarious. <laughs> like, he's just doing a Borat impression. It doesn't sound like a Transylvanian accent. It sounds like a, a wherever the hell Borat was from accent. <laughs> Which uh, is interesting, because the actor doesn't speak english natively either and i thought he did a pretty good job with uh when he was speaking english that kind of i just assumed he was British. once he's not old anymore it's fine like his his voice does not sound ridiculous but it's just when he's when he's an old man yeah that's why it sounds like an snl sketch to me because he's wearing the old man makeup and he's like talking all like funny you know just it comes across very campy it goes beyond campy into comedy which i think is, is yeah do you think do you think it would have played better if they had just gotten an old guy rather than doing old guy makeup? Yeah, if it was just different actors, I do think it would have probably played better. This speaks traditionally to how Dracula was filmed and stuff, and they've always done it that way. But uh, being way? something where that the actor who eventually portrays Dracula younger is the same actor who portrays him as the old man. That's just kind of how it was done. But I'm not saying that they have to do that. They broke a lot of rules with hmm. this one. And also, traditionally, you end with a Dracula thing, you put a twist and change the production. A lot of them, and most of them, I'd say, don't just follow the book. Yeah, uh, so I, yeah, I have a couple of questions because I'm kind of wondering, 
you know, when he said losing the, they're losing their flavor, and that was definitely a, a joke. I can see that now. I, I miss it. You know, I I was thinking, oh, he's he's basically plumbed the richness out of his home country, right? Um, and that is evidenced by um, Sister Agatha later when she talks about Dracula being an aristocrat, but even he has taste. Um, and so he's finally moving on to the the next best best thing, but um, or what he sees as the next best thing. But I have a question about the absorbing, and I feel like maybe this would be a new part to this particular Draca because he it's often he says I will absorb you, and you know when he was old Dracula we heard that that accent it was very pronounced. And then the younger he gets, it's a lot less pronounced. And it feels like yep. Jonathan Harker is losing his essence. You know, they're, they're, they're moving opposite. Yeah, and his memories. So he's drinking the blood. He he seems to be doing more than just drinking the blood. He really is absorbing him. And His accent changes. His mannerisms change. He starts calling yep. him Johnny, which is like a very British thing that he wouldn't otherwise know so i'd say that i'd say pretty sure. clearly that was that is a new twist on the whole vampire and dracula thing which i liked um did you guys also pick up on that was that kind of obvious yeah. that that was where they were going with that or i was gonna bring it up earlier when we were talking about um dracula drinking from him i don't know if because we didn't see it i don't know if it ever actually happens i think that this iteration of dracula is more of a mental leech than a physical one and he does drink blood later though well, yeah, we do see him with a glass of blood, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Um, and when Harker cuts his finger, he's like, ah, like, yeah, yeah, I need yeah. me that blood. Um, but then also the but we woman, don't see him drink from him. You're right. Yeah. The woman who later does drink from him is, is kind of represented as a more feral version of or feral, I guess, version of uh, a vampire. And that's why she like attacks him. But also before she drinks from him, she says she learned English from him and that it tasted spicy. Um, when she learned when she learned English from him, which we de mm. we were pretty certain she never fed from him before that moment, which happened after she said that she drank or or absorbed English from him. So it does seem to be some kind of characteristic of these vampires that they can like mentally. Yeah, drain you. and she did mention Agatha mentioned like maybe you could kind of if you're sensitive to it, maybe without even drinking, pick up on something almost like you're um, smelling your wine before you drink it you're picking up on hints of this and that and then when you drink it you get more of a a deeper experience or whatever could wouldn't it have been cool if she said um that he tasted boiled and bland <laughs> yeah um i was just gonna say because i watched the, the second episode um okay uh so the following one and yeah. not that this is really a spoiler, but I think it's important information. Um, he is very much interested on people's personalities and um, like intelligence because because of the fact that he's not just absorbing their blood, but he's absorbing their information and who they are, too. So that gets kind of like very defined and clarified in the second episode. Okay, I didn't it. remember. It's been a while. Thank you for clarifying that point. Yeah, no, I'm kind of remembering that more now. He was very interested in who was there, and I don't want to reveal too much for those that might watch it. But yeah, I do remember that now. Good point. 
Um, so does anyone have any like final thoughts before we move into our little award ceremony we're gonna do? Dracula 2020. We laughed, we felt dread. <laughs> we argued about uh the writing. <laughs> it was good. It was a good conversation. I'm I'm glad to hear your guys' opinions because a lot of the time I watch these alone and I'm never able to bounce it off people and I get so much from our conversations. So I'm really happy we're doing this. Um and hopefully you guys get uh, something out of it. Hopefully as much as I'm getting out of it. Um, a a absolutely. It is fun to see all different points of view. And we're watching the movie not together, but we're discussing it together, which is just as good. And we're kind of wrapping up series one here. So it's kind of, I just wanted to open it up and kind of reflect on how, just in a basic way, hopefully this has been fun. And uh, I know it's been a challenge for me, but it's also been really rewarding. And thank you all for participating. I think we're all going to be on series two. Ben, I mean, you're the you're the one that should deserves the most thanks because you put more work into this than <laughs> any of us schlubs do. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for yeah. doing that. We just we just wa watch a movie and then say our stupid thoughts about <laughs> it to you, and you do all sorts of <laughs> other shit. <laughs> Yeah, and the the setup has grown. Like every week, it's gotten more complex. So like, I'm kind of like, oh well, okay, you juggled that many things. So like, why don't you throw this thing over here? <laughs> it's like okay, <laughs> at some point, I'm gonna drop a ball. But that's why we're. Uh, that's why I can edit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad you guys are enjoying it, and that's exactly kind of how I want it to be. I want you guys to be able to show up and do this because you all are busy and stuff, and. Um... You know, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time, and uh, it's God, it's really great to just kind of talk movies with people. So thank you for that. Um, we do, we did wrap up uh, the series, and so it's time to present the award for Who Done It. So why don't we run through that, and I'm going to kind of wing it here. Welcome to the first annual Who Dundies Award, where we award the person who scored the highest on the Who Done It game in I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And uh, so, uh, if we could uh, have the envelope, please, we'll find out who won the first Who Dundee. Opening up the envelope. And the winner is Mr. Devin Schwartz. Here is your Who Dundee, and I'll hand that off to you. Congratulations, sir. Nice. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> the audience oh goes wild. Oh. Well done. He always wins when we play uh, uh, the Jackbox games. Uh, Devin's always uh, <laughs> consistently winning on those, too. So he's good at this gaming thing. Devin, do you have an acceptance speech? Yeah, wow. I mean, speech. You, you don't do speech. it. You don't do this work for the awards, but you know, it really, it means so much. I have so many people to thank. I, you know, my mom, uh, God, you know, all of you guys for being so incredibly predictable with your movie choices. How many? Uh, how many percent did you give, dude? Like, how much percent? Percentage? Oh, did you give? Everyone on the cast and crew gave a hundred percent. Just no, uh, not yeah. just a hundred. What? Of course, of course. <laughs> okay, take the award. We're in America where math first, doesn't matter. Award, it's about how numbers feel here. <laughs> <laughs> when when I win when I win the next Dundee, my speech will get better. And when I win the next one, it'll get even better. Oh, so, here yeah. we go. Here we'll, we go. I'll, I'll, All right. Each time. Wow. The gauntlet has <laughs> been thrown right, down, down again. 
<laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown down. But uh, yeah, I feel uh, God in this Discord room today. <laughs> well done, Devin. Well, well learned. And so what what award, what does your award say? I think you ended up getting the Fine oh, yeah, Work yeah. Award. Oh, yes. Well. Stuff already threw okay. me backwards and messed up, but. Which I believe, I'm trying to remember who won that in the actual No, episode. it's only backwards for you. We read Stanley? it fine. Discord works funny. Yeah, Stanley, and he's like, well, last year I got the Good Work or Great Work Award, so. <laughs> yeah. It was one right. of the better Stanley moments uh, that Pepe will never know about because <laughs> he refuses. I won't. Yeah, I won't. Want, I know I won't enjoy it, so I'm just not going to we'll, we'll, we'll have to send you away for an office re-education program. <laughs> You'll come back oh, quoting God. it. <laughs> But yeah, the gauntlet's been thrown down, gang. So we're all in for series two, correct? We all have, have submitted our movies, yeah? Oh, well, so. we have to rate your yeah. movie, Ben, right? So we know whose movies have yeah. the highest rating. Oh, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure before I shuffle oh, okay. the thing here. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, let me do the check mark. Here's my other ball in the air here. Um, right, so before we do uh, final grades, I do have a commercial... Uh, so let me get over to that. It's a long one, so I'm going to actually try to hold it up and see if this works pretty pretty well or not. We'll find out. We'll do it live. In fact, I'll give it a do it live. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Okay, <laughs> we're going to do it live. What a prick. <laughs> uh, right, so before we do it, I know, I hate that guy. Um, and uh, yeah, so before we move on, and now, a word from our sponsors. Feeling cooped up, desperate to get away? Welcome to the Mountaintop. Our award-winning staff at Mountaintop Resort and Lodge are dying to meet you. After our driver finds you at the crossroads at midnight, you'll retire to our exclusive facilities where you'll be pampered like Kobe beef. Speaking of food, feast in our gothic dining hall catered to by our pentagram star chef. We can't wait to have you for dinner. Don't drink? Wine. We offer a variety of complimentary beverages for your enjoyment. Bloody good. Parents, you'll be so relaxed and carefree leaving your children of the night with our certifiable nanny. You'll be convinced there is no baby. Roam our labyrinthian halls and get lost forever in a game of hide-and-seek that will drain all your worries away. Fancy a dip? Take a plunge in the nearby Orelva River. You'll be floating belly up all the way out to sea. And don't forget to practice your high dive. Mountaintop. The vacation from which your whole life is at last visible, from beginning to end, death completes you. The staff is not here at night. All guests are required to write three post-dated letters stating they are leaving, have left, and arrive safely at their final destination before retiring. Sorry, no wake-up calls. <laughs> Amazing. That was great. Bravo. Oh, that man. So practicing, practicing your high dive. That was, oh, man, genius. Chef <laughs> okay, glad you guys liked that. I was inspired Lovely. at uh, 6 a.m. What can I say? Um... <laughs> Yeah, that was mostly good. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, so let's uh, start with some grades. Um, uh, oh, there's the cat. We've got cat. Well, we always had cat, but now we have kitty. Two cats. Yeah. I probably would have given this an A or an A plus before our conversation, frankly, but I think that uh, Devin pointed out some issues uh, that were valid and, um, and being that... Uh, yeah, maybe they could have done better with getting a different old man. I found his I found his performance um, not problematic and was interesting. Um, but that's kind of from an actor's perspective who would also want to play old man Dracula. 
So uh, maybe you had a valid point there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give it an A-. minus. I still really liked it. Um, I just wish they would have called it a feature film and um, that they would have capped it off with the last 10 minutes from that third movie. Kat, where'd you land on this one? I'm feeling kind of a B minus. Um, yeah, I think it was definitely an interesting watch, and it definitely caught my attention at the very beginning, kind of trying to figure out the tone and everything, and I definitely was entertained throughout it, but... Um, I think there are just certain things about it that seem kind of campy and kind of very tropey. So I, I think if they just kind of did a better job with the writing, it could have been much better. Interesting. And uh, Devin, uh, where did you land with this one? I'm expecting uh, nothing short of a D minus here. No, go ahead. I, I think, um, <laughs> well, f first, I do think I was a little negative. I, I said at the top at the beginning of this uh, 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 series that I was going to be more positive, And I feel like I was a little negative with some of the movies. And despite my complaints with this one, I did find myself entertained through most of it. There was never a moment where I was bored watching this. And uh, so I, I think it's a B. I was going to give it a B. I think it's a solid B movie, both both in our grading system and like traditional how you talk about movies it's a solid b movie okay cool nice surprising so once it kind of like fell into place for you it mostly worked it seems like yeah cool good we're glad to hear it um and let me get back to the streaming room now that i open that uh james pepe you don't get the final word this time <laughs> well, what's um, the what's the what's the word that's the pre pre-final i always forget it the the penultimate yes you're the penultimate uh, grade here. I know that sounds way awesomer than final, penultimate. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> penultimate. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give you some consolation here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think I'm gonna say B minus as well. Um, I think there were some, mm -hmm. there were some, like I said, I, there were some cool things. I really like seeing Dracula come out of that wolf. I thought that was really cool. Um, Personally, I was sort of of two minds about Agatha's character. There were parts of it that I just didn't like her as a character uh, at all. And there were parts of it where I thought she was doing good work as a character. Um, I thought that um, the the male lead, what was his name? Uh, what was his character? Harker. I thought he Harker, was the yeah. better. I thought he was the best actor of the bunch, at least in my estimation. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to say B minus, um, it's, a, it was a perfectly enjoyable movie. I don't know if I would rewatch it. Um, uh -huh. maybe if I were to go on to watch the other three after having not watched it for a while, I might rewatch it, but yeah, I think B minus. Okay. And, uh, let's bring that, uh, GPA up, uh, Miss, uh, Jim Scott. How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> If this beats the lighthouse, I'm going to fucking flip out. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Pepe. Um, so from a gothic horror standpoint, I feel like it was, it, it nailed it. There's very few movies in this modern day that kind of take their time with certain elements. Um, being an older tale with a fresh dressing, I feel like it hit that mark as well. Um, the dialogue exchanges between you know protagonists and antagonists i thought were amazing some of the witty exchanges the graphics the feel um some of the no a few notes 
you felt flat, of course, but you know, when you look at the symphony as a whole, I felt like it was beautiful music of the night. So I'm going to give it a solid A. I just thoroughly enjoyed it all the way through. Nice. Yeah, I felt similarly. Um, so, Devin, where does that leave us as far as the final uh, GPA for Dracula 2020, which is a feature film? Moffat. That uh, puts us solidly at a 3.2, which is just above a B, not quite a B plus. Castle jump. What is on your floor <laughs> that made that noise? Uh, there's a bowl on my floor. <laughs> I had popcorn earlier. It's a popcorn bowl. Well, it was from the movie, actually. Um, yeah. That's so, like a three point anyway, shot. Three point two. Yeah. Three point two. Okay. Solid uh, B. Solid grade. A um, couple of the teachers favored this student, and uh, it gets to stay on the football team. It made it uh, made the GPA requirement, so it'll be on varsity. I don't think it beat uh, the lighthouse. I think the lighthouse probably no, so topped off everything. Recap for for yeah for for uh, uh, series one, uh, we have in order of best to worst. Um, not, not that any of these movies are bad. Uh, we have the lighthouse at a three point four, uh, Dracula at a three point two. Willow at a 2.8, and then Horse Girl and Stranger Than Fiction tying at a 2.4. That math checks out to me, I think. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I think I'm happy with that, even though Stranger Things is my We're movie. We're also very Stranger picky and harsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Despite what we said going into this, that we were like kind of movie cheerleaders, we found some stuff to pick at there. But um, I think they were all valid points, and it was really, whether whatever, the grading is kind of a fun thing to do, but uh, really, uh, I, I give this a 4.0 as far as uh, what I got out of it. So uh, thank you all for that, and I look forward to continuing in Series 2. Uh, speaking of which, yeah. shall we, uh, our theme, uh, uh, moving forward, I mentioned this last episode, we'll do kind of a Jeopardy board, but um, pressed for time, and being that we're still kind of developing as we go here, our theme is uh, Anything Goes for the next series. And so it's time to roll the dice and see what we'll be watching next week. Um, why don't we just kind of go in the order that we did last time? Uh, Devin, uh, not to put you on the spot, I believe that that would make it your turn to roll. Do yeah, you I'm have prepared. A, yeah, do yeah, you have a way have, to roll um, D five? Yeah, I'm using old uh, random.org, old reliable. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, it, wor it works. Um, so, I actually yeah. used that to roll for what movie I was going to submit. Because nice. I had two of them, and I was kind of just going back and forth even till this morning. Okay, so let me... I thought I had that set up, and I did not. There we go. Okay, so shall I give you the drum roll? Go ahead. Here are we... Okay, we're off. What are we watching? Fate. Numero dos. Numero dos, and that is... Enemy 2013, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Dennis Villanova, Dennis Villanova, uh, and it, I guess it's streaming on Canopy or Canopy. I'm not sure Canopy. what that is. Canopy. Can okay. Oh yeah, of course. Mm, Canopy. Right. Uh, yeah. So obviously that's my movie, and I'm already playing the 3D dice with you guys. Canopy. Yeah, yeah I've never heard of it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, we are expanding. Um, we're not expanding. But to just clarify, basically, if it's a free streaming service with commercials and the movie's on there, it's totally legit. 
um, as long as it's a major release or a cult classic. And so that definitely falls within that. So Canopy is where you want to find this, guys. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to continuing and kicking off Series 2 next week. Um, show announcements, I don't really have any, but this is the last of uh, Series 1, so I hope those who have tuned in and are listening in enjoyed it. Uh, we look forward to having you with us for Series 2. Uh, feel free to write me and the show at ben at redhenmedia.com. And uh, probably we will respond if you write soon enough. Um, but, you know, uh, we may respond on the show in the future. Um, so, yeah, that about wraps things up for Series 1. I can't believe it. Uh, has it already been uh, five weeks? Oh, God, don't say that. <laughs> it's gone by like a dream. <laughs> Feels like a day. It's been so much fun. Exactly. Time goes by so, when, when you're having fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's flown by. It's been busy for me outside of this as well. So it's been something I've been else. So, I've been so happy that all of these movies that I didn't pick, I hadn't seen. I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Same. Okay, so it's about time to wrap things up. Hey, don't just burst in here, Columbo. Why don't yeah, you go outside and ring the bell? In. I know. Yeah, really. We're not that familiar, sir. It's getting pretty familiar. There we go. Oh, who is that? I don't know. It, I Who's don't know. Who, it could be anyone. Don't invite him, it's Dracula. Oh man, what if it's Dracula? Don't invite him. Just one more thing. Dracula Columbo on a very special episode of Columbo. Yeah, Drac so uh, Columbo, Lieutenant Columbo being here means <laughs> there's time for just one more thing. And uh, I guess since I read left to right, I'll start with me today. Um, let me see if I can get you guys over to where you can actually see what I'm looking at myself. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so there's this... Oh, my camera is off there. So I'll just go full screen here. So um, basically, uh, this is a documentary that's on Netflix called The Last Blockbuster. Um, you guys may have seen it pop up in your feed. I watched it. I was definitely... I would rent from Blockbuster and the other video stores as well. I would rent from them all and have stacks of videos to watch. So it was neat to watch kind of like what happened with the blockbuster between blockbuster and netflix a lot of people assume that netflix just kind of uh bumped blockbuster off um which there's as many things in life there's a little bit more nuance to it um than that and the story is interesting and they actually start before it's the last blockbuster they start when there's a handful of them left and throughout the film you kind of see one fall after the other until there's one left standing and uh, actually, uh, popular media uh, stars like um, uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver ends up trying to help save the last blockbuster at one point, which I hadn't seen, and that was pretty cool. And there's lots of stars that come in and visit the blockbuster, and apparently they do interviews all over the world and such. So it was kind of a neat thing to see that story and see how it happens. And I'll cut back to you guys. I have... Here, there it is, an actual Blockbuster card from the last Blockbuster. It's going to be backwards wow. on that camera. Uh, relic. From, yeah, uh, it's from that actual Blockbuster uh, in Bend, Oregon. You have one, too. You have a Bend, Oregon one? No, no, this is just you a real one. You have a legit one. old Blockbuster <laughs> card. Okay, Yo, this yeah. is a real one, too. I can go there and use this. Uh, my sister actually <laughs> happens to live in Bend, and so... Uh, she sent me this and a couple of other fun things from there, and that was before the movie came out. So as soon as that came out, I was on top of it. 
But yeah, Lack Blockbuster. If you like it, check it out. Go ahead, Devin. I was just going to say, I once watched a Blockbuster burn to the ground in Oregon. I don't think it was Bend, Oregon. But um, yeah, I was visiting my sister in um, probably outside of Salem somewhere. And uh, there was a fire. And I literally like I was it, it didn't take very long. I, I sat there for maybe 45 minutes and watched a Blockbuster completely burned from like to a husk. It burned so fast. It was wow. Someone yeah. needed that insurance money. Got to pay those bills. <laughs> the statute of limitations on arson has finally gone up, so Devin can tell us about this blockbuster yeah. burned down. There it is. Oh, very good. I was so bright. surprised it burned so fast. Yeah. yeah. So so bright. Luke, so uh, occurrence. <laughs> so what do you got for us this week, Cat? On just one more thing. Mine's a kind of a news newsy thing, but um, in other spooky news with the theme if you see something in the sky this weekend it's not a vampire bat or an undead harper falling from a cliff it's a chinese rocket so please be on the lookout this weekend because that is an actual thing so <laughs> oh i love that cool what day or what are we expecting this do you know we don't know china's not sharing that info with us yeah they said they were expecting it this weekend they didn't I, okay. I don't think they specified the date huh neat okay so uh, don't panic and call in and uh, to the radio station that we're being invaded by Mars, apparently. Take that, 1930s America. Yeah. Devin, what have you got for us on Just One More Thing this week? Um, I have very, two very brief One More Things. I know I'm doubling, double dipping again, um, but they're both kind of timely and like I won't want to talk about them as much next week. So I've been watching Shadow and Bone on Netflix. It is... Okay, Netflix puts out a lot of shit, and it can be very difficult to tell what's good and what's bad. And I, I wholeheartedly am imploring you to check out Shadow and Bone. It is very good. It is maybe the highest quality series I've watched on Netflix. It's a fantasy series. It has kind of some steampunk elements, but it's based on Germanic folklore instead of uh, uh, all based in, in English folklore. So there's a little more, or not, not folklore, I should say, more culture. It's based in, like... World War One era kind of Germany is the theme, but it's obviously not a real doesn't take place in the real world. Um, very interesting uh, and ju just a really cool show. Anyway, second thing is a podcast called The Adventure Zone, which I've been a fan of forever. It is a role playing game podcast. They primarily play fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. They have dabbled in other things like Monster of the Week. Um, but they're just about to start a new season, which means it's a perfect time to start because you can either binge everything they've done so far, which they have three separate arcs that are fully independent stories. There's no crossover at all, except for the people who are playing the characters. Um, but they're all independent stories. They're about to start their fourth. Um, all of them, I think, are incredible and worth watching. And it's a good time to jump on. So the cool. adventure's on. Cool. And I enjoyed when we played Monster of the Week a, a little bit back as kind of a breather from Pathfinder. It was fun and it was heavy on the uh, role playing, which I enjoy, as you guys know. Um, it's hard to get mad when someone does more than just one more thing because it is in the nature of Columbo to have more than just one more thing. <laughs> yeah, he always has just one more thing. <laughs> yeah, and then he'll have another just one more thing a second later. So anyway, uh, the incendiary James Pepe, what do you got for us this week? So I'm sure I'm sure Ben saw this one coming, but I'm just going to to give out all of my various Dracula adjacent uh, recommendations. So first I'll say, and I think I've mentioned this before, the two Vampire Hunter D movies, they're both great. Um, but for real, uh, <laughs> um, my favorite iteration of Dracula is from an anime called Helsing. 
and it's my favorite sort of I guess the gothic ones are are a little outside of this purview, but my my favorite sort of like updating of vampires and Dracula um, is in Helsing. Um, they have two separate series now because they they made the first one. Um, they made the classic error of making the series before the manga was finished. So they they did a they did like um, a when first series. Look? Yeah, never, never, never. Um, so they did a first run, and it was actually really, it's great, it's cool. And then they did a second run, which is which sticks uh, basically straight to the manga, um, which is good in its own ways. Um, I'm partial to the first one, but it's 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 like comparing like uh, I don't know Hitori Hanzo swords or something. They're both very they're both <laughs> real great. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I'd say go out and find. Helsing and watch Helsing. I'll back you up on that. Yeah, go check it out if you haven't seen it. And um, gentlemen, Jim Scott, what have you got for us? Uh, thank you. So uh, for this week, I have an, another podcast and uh, sticking with the horror theme as well. Uh, the podcast is called Faculty of Horror. And um, just reading the short description, it is tackling all things horror with a slosh of analysis and research, horror journalists and occasional academics. Andrea Subasati and Alexandra West are your hosts for brain-pumping discussions on things that go bump in the night. I get a lot of joy um, from this podcast. They release one roughly about every month or so. Um, so it's not one where you feel like, oh, I got to you know catch up with it every week. And they do come from a well-researched academic uh, background. And also they thread a feminist perspective into um, some of the movies. And it's helped me to realize that horror, horror movies and the horror genre has a lot to offer. And there's a lot of subtleties um, that come with it. So it's a great this podcast. Is a and this is a must listen for me. I'm literally writing a horror film right now. So uh, could you there say you the name one more time? Yeah, it's called The Faculty of Horror. Okay, I like the name too. The Faculty of Horror. I think I'll miss you most of all. Uh, Dorothy is letting us know that it's time to say goodbye. So if you want to go ahead and uh, do your sign-offs, Kat, we'll start with you. Um, I'm Catherine Ramirez. It's been real. Catch me on Instagram at Kat Ramirez with two Zs. See you all next time. Mr. Devin Schwartz. You can find me on Twitter at Devin Schwartz one Game over, man. Game over. I somehow still end up after him, even though I've been <laughs> repositioned. That's okay. You're the incendiary James Pepe. You can handle yeah. anything, right? <laughs> what except, do you got? Except one of the greatest movie lines of all time. Just, oh, man. Uh, I'm James. Um, don't, don't use social media. It's bad. I back you up on that outside of uh, doing business. Yeah. It's, oh, except uh, for our social no, media. At use best, ours. Yeah, right. Except for ours. At best, it's a, it's a time thief, at best. At yeah, worst, it'll yeah. topple empires. Okay, so, gentlemen, Jim Scott, you have our final goodbye. Well, thank you. Yes, I'm Jim Scott, um, social media forthcoming. 
only because I'm from a similar camp of thought as my buddy James Pepe. Uh, but yeah, uh, farewell. And until next time, take care, friends. Yeah, you're going to have to find these guys out there in the real world, or you can, uh, if you want to talk to them or ask them a question, feel free to email me, and I'll pass it along to them, if appropriate. Um, so, uh, that about does it, folks. Uh, this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine, and now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon. If you enjoy the show, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. Remember to watch Enemy 2013, starring Jake Gyllenhaal on Canopy for next week and we hope to see you then until next time lookers keep on looking